find ourselves this morning in a very unique situation as a country, don't we? Something that we haven't uh, experienced uh, before, or at least not for a long time. And we just want to uh, encourage your hearts this morning in, in regards to a few things um, and how we should respond to these types of situations as Christians. And... Uh, um, so that God can be glorified through these things. I wanted to just give you some things. This week I sent out an email. Um, you might not be a part of our email uh, group, and so if you aren't, you didn't receive them. So I want to rehash these things. And uh, if you're not a part of our email group, then feel free to go online. Um, Community Builder is the place where you can get connected to the church, and, and once you're connected in, you'll get all the church emails, and, and we'll try to keep you up to date. And and that does bring up a, a thought as well. Do, um, do look at your emails each week because we will keep you up to date. And this is going to be a week-by-week week thing. We made a decision. The elders made a decision to go ahead with this morning's service. And um, so we, we're here. And we're thankful that you guys are all here with us. Um, but we don't know what next week is going to be like. And we don't know what the mandates will be. Um, right now we're... I think the state is under a 250 or less um, restriction, so we didn't fall under that. We felt like we probably would be less than 50 today, which I think we are. So we're, we're a small group, and we can keep our distances and, and, uh, and um, try to, try to uh, respect in some way this virus and, and not spread it. So just a few thoughts that I sent out this week. Um, if you feel sick, I uh, got a couple emails this morning and last night. Some people were feeling sick and they were just going to stay home. Um, we encourage that. We're, you're not going to be judged for not being here. Um, there's no legalism around being here or not being here. Uh, we, wanna, we want the church to be available. If you feel like you need to be here, we want there to be an availability, but we don't want there to be a, a, a feel of necessity. Okay, So don't, don't feel like if you feel sick... If you feel under the weather, if you feel like um, you're going to be coughing, um, sneezing, or whatever, you know, then feel free to stay home. I was thinking our security team is usually here to protect us from outside sources, but then I was thinking this morning, if you cough or sneeze, they might be here for you. And so, so if you have a cough or a sneeze coming on, no matter what it's from, just hold it in till after the service is over. Um, a few other things. Avoid touching your face has been something that they've really promoted. And um, try alternatives to shaking hands. And I, I, they kind of encourage the elbow bump. I'm just going to say, uh, just say hi to each other. Even the elbow bump can be something that can transfer germs. And um, nothing wrong right now with just saying hi to somebody, giving a nice wave. We all know that we love each other, right? We don't have to have that physical contact to to affirm that. So just for a season, just, just say hi, you know, and then have a conversation and don't feel like you have to, uh, to have physical contact with, with others. Um, that was my next thought, avoid contact with others. Um, monitor the health of your family and follow the instructions of the health officials. Keep a healthy distance with, when communicating. Um, some of us are, some of us are, really good at respecting personal space, and some of us are really bad at respecting personal space. We like that, like that close-up conversation. So just for a season, let's do the, the distance conversation. So just keep that, uh, 
keep that in mind when you're communicating that, that just a little bit, maybe a step back is, is, is just helpful and healthy. Um, I don't know what it will accomplish. I just know that this is what they're encouraging us to do, and we just want to respect that and uh, do, uh, have due diligence in this process. And we know that it is God that's going to bring deliverance from this. He's the one that's going to bring healing and protection. He's, he's in control and he's sovereign. We're not here. I'm not here sharing these things with you because I'm afraid of anything, honestly, because I'm not. I, I told my wife this week, I said, you know, if, it's my, if the Lord decides that I'm going to get coronavirus and it's going to be the end for me, I'm fine with that. I mean, that, that's my heart. It's like I, I'm, I'm, I'm not locked down. I'm, I'm, ready to, uh, I'm ready to rise up if it's his timing for me to rise up. And so we're not afraid, we're not speaking out of fear, we're just, um, just giving some thoughts of wisdom that, that, uh, that are respectful of the situation, and, and I think that they are, they're respectful, be respectful of the situation. Then wash your hands constantly, we have some, we have some uh, germ disinfectants around for your hands, just stop when you're walking by, grab some and wash your hands, and... Um, we're trying to get some more. Michael and I were talking, I think it was yesterday or Friday, like, okay, do we have enough? And it's like, yeah, we have enough for this weekend, but we looked online and it's all sold out. And um, it's funny, a guy was walking by my office this morning and he stopped to talk to me and he says, you guys are having service? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, my son owns this company that makes this hand sanitizer here in the area, I guess. And He's like, we, we can't produce it fast enough for people. And I was like, yeah, I, I know. It's sold out everywhere. And so we're going to try to get some more in here so that each week, if the Lord allows us to keep meeting, that you'll have access to that where you can just wash your hands on a regular basis. And then just don't shake hands. I know that's weird, but and you know, just respectfully say, I, I, you know, someone will offer you their hand and just respectfully say, you know, I... I'm not going to shake hands right now, but it's good to see you this morning. And, so, and then just kind of have a conversation. Um, so those are just some things, some basic principles. I thought about a few things, too, that we should consider as Christians as well. And those are just human. Those are just a part of being a person. These are things that we should do um, as humanity. A few things that we should consider as Christians. Um, we want to be submissive to, um, to our health officials. We want to be submissive to the government and what they say and what they recommend. And we, we're not rebels, right? Uh, Christians at their core are submissive people. That's what God makes us. He turns us into, um, from being rebels into submissive people. So we want to be submissive to the health um, officials. We want to um, not in fear. We want to be submissive to what they request and what they ask and... Um, out of respect of them, the church should be probably the least conflict-oriented when it comes to these things. So, so we want to be respectful of their request. And when they make a request and it's not a dictate, we can make a decision and, and it's not in rebellion. It's like I know that a lot of churches, I think, in our state have canceled for today and we're not in rebellion by being here. Um, they gave us an option and we made a decision to go ahead and go forward with it. But if they made a mandate, we would, we would follow that. And so we, we want to be submissive to that and, and pray with us about that. Michael and I have been talking this week about what are we going to do. Um, if they do, we don't have live streaming right now. Um, we're actually talking seriously about let's really start pushing towards getting live streaming. And not even just for this moment, but, but it's a good thing to have for the future as well. So if you're a live streaming expert, please see Michael. 
and uh, help us out with some of those details because we, we do want to move in that direction in, in case maybe it's not this year, but maybe it's next year. Um, I've heard that these things often will, will um, have a stronger impact the second year than the first year. So we don't really know what the Lord has planned for the future. We can just be prepared as best as we possibly can. So if you're good at that kind of thing, please let Michael know. The second thing as a Christian, be submissive, number one, be hopeful. We want to be a people that are not afraid. Um, The scripture tells us in Philippians 2 to do all things without murmuring and complaining. And it says that that the world might see our light shining. The, The world might see our light and then believe. It's really a strong connection to Matthew 5 where it says that we're the light of the world. And that the world might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Um, honestly, folks, there's no, there's no more, there's no greater opportunity than what we have right now because it puts everybody on the same level. We're all dealing with the same problem. Your, your economic status doesn't matter in these types of situations. Everybody is afraid of coronavirus. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, you're afraid of getting the coronavirus. But we as Christians are not. And we don't have to murmur and complain about what's going on. We can have strong faith that our God is in control, that this moment in our history or in our present, but will be our history soon, has a purpose. And that when when it runs its purpose, then it will go away and God will have used it for a reason or allowed it for a reason. And we have confidence that God is in control. And just by the thought of his mind or the word of his mouth, he can, he can do, I mean, that's my prayer. God, bring, bring healing, um, bring um, cleansing to us as a people. So be a hopeful people. First Thessalonians 4.13 talks about not sorrowing as those who have no hope. We, we are, as Christians, we have, a, we have a different perspective, right, on what's going on around us. And so my encouragement to you is be submissive, be hopeful. Um, be prayerful. First Thessalonians 5.17 says pray without ceasing. And we always should be praying. We should be praying. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't, as much as I should, I pray for the body, our church, a lot uh, daily. But I don't pray for our government. I don't pray for our state. I don't pray for our country. I don't pray for our world as much as I should. But you know something? This week, I've been praying for our country. I've been praying for our state. I've been praying for our world. Because you know what? This is impacting the entire world. It just brings us all onto the same playing field, doesn't it? So we want to be prayerful for people in China right now who are dealing with this. People in other countries are dealing with the same thing that we're dealing with, and people are dying um, daily because of this. So pray for those people. Be prayerful for them. God is the one who can bring healing and deliverance. And then the last thought as a Christian is be, be evangelistic. This is a gospel moment. This is a moment where the world is hopeless and we have hope, right? We have an answer that doesn't possibly, doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be not getting coronavirus. It doesn't mean that they're going to be possibly healed from coronavirus. But what it does say is, is that we have a solution to coronavirus and it's an eternal solution. It's a forever solution, right? This is a gospel moment. Somebody, somebody um, wrote or communicated this last week um, that their church has been getting calls from people saying, what do we do? Lost people, fearful people, 
people who are afraid that they're going to die. And that fear is sparking within them a desire to know what, what comes after this. And that's where we're at. You guys are Matthew 5 or Matthew 28 where it says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. It literally means, as you're in the world, preach the gospel. This is our moment. As you're working beside somebody and they're just super fearful, this is the gospel moment. As you're in school beside somebody that's fearful, this is a gospel moment. There is a hope that we have as Christians that, that causes all of the things of this earth to not be as impactful as they are on the lost. And so we can communicate that hope to them. Because realistically, folks, whether or not it's coronavirus or something else, somebody without Christ is in trouble, right? And this is an opportunity for people to recognize that. It's an opportunity for all of us to realize that death is a real thing. We're all appointed to it and that there is life that follows it and it's forever life. And so I want to encourage you as a church to to be evangelistic, to be looking for opportunities to share hope with people who are hopeless, to be careful not to minimize this moment, to not minimize their fear, but to redirect their hope in the midst of that fear. And be, be a gospeler as you go through this season, as we go through this season as a country. And we can be strong in it. So those are some things that we can think about as we are going through this season as a country, as a neighbor, as a friend, as a co-worker. Um, we can be these things for these people. I'd like to stop just for a moment and I want to like to pray and just ask the Lord to um, be with us here, be with our country, be with our um, world in, these, in this moment and, and ask God to use this to bring people to himself. So if you would just join me, if you would just bow, let's pray together. Father in heaven, um, we know that you are sovereign. We know that there is nothing that happens that's not in your control. We know that there are evil things that happen that you allow because there is um, a purpose there are good things that happen that you orchestrate because you have a purpose. I pray that you would help us as a church to see your purpose in these things and maybe not even to see your purpose, but to trust your purpose, to believe that you have a purpose and, Lord, to, to seek out ministry opportunities, to seek out opportunities to, to, uh, to share hope with people. Lord God, I pray that you would be with those who already have coronavirus. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing to them, that you would um, remove this virus from their bodies, and that you would heal them. You are the great physician. You are the only one that is capable of bringing true healing. So I pray for their healing. I pray as well for those who do not have it, uh, that you would bring protection to them. I pray for our church, that you would protect our church family. I pray for our community, Lord God, that you would protect our community for our state, for our country, and for our world. I just pray that you would be with us as a people, that as this um, part of our journey is, is here, and Lord, it's, it's scary and difficult and challenging, I pray that you would 
point people to Christ and point people to the things that are eternal and, and important and that you would bring change and repentance and faith and that you would glorify yourself through this um, very difficult journey. Lord, I pray that as we enter into this time of worship, that you would take our minds and our hearts and that you would um, transition them to heavenly things, that we would even be able in this moment to not be meditating on all of the problems and all of the difficulties that we face, but Lord, that this would truly be a moment of worship. It would be a, a moment of selflessness, a moment of humility, uh, Lord, a moment of praise in which we lift up and exalt your name. We uh, point to you. We embrace what you have done. We embrace what you're currently doing and what you will do. We trust in your holy name. We trust in your strength and your might. We trust in your grace and your mercy, and we uh, embrace those things. Holy Spirit, please come amongst us now. Help us to hear your voice, to learn what your will is to make application, Lord God, and that you might be glorified in it and through it. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. Join me, if you would, in Hebrews chapter number 10, Hebrews chapter number 10 in your Bibles. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this uh, fairly quickly this morning, uh, so I'm not, there's a few alternative references that I'll, I'm going to give you the reference to them and let you um, do a little bit of study at home so that you can get a broader picture of what we're talking about. Leviticus 16 is kind of a, an Old Testament passage that deals with this picture that's being painted between the Old, Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And in the context this morning, we have this, we have this connection still being made in Leviticus 16, which is the Day of Atonement, it's a reference in the Old Testament to the Day of Atonement in which the, the high priest would go in and would make the sacrifice for all of the people. Um, the uh, two goats would be, one would be sacrificed, one would be released to carry the sins of the people. All of those ceremonies that are related to the Day of the Atonement are, are emphasized or, or pictured in this passage of Scripture here. One of the things that is focused on is there is an event that takes place in Leviticus 16 that happens before the Day of Atonement or, or on the Day of Atonement, and then at the end of the Day of Atonement, it concludes. And that would be the high priest would take off, of his, off his garments of representation, um, very ornate garments, a very um, Hebrew, Jewish garments that represented the people. He had these ornate garments. He wore them uh, consistently as a representation of him being the mediator, if you will, between God and man. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take those garments off and he would put on a very simple garment, uh, a linen garment, uh, something that we wouldn't see as being very ornate. And in those last few sacrifices on the Day of Atonement, he would make those sacrifices and, and offer that offering and sprinkle the blood in this what I would call a simpler uh, garment. And uh, this garment had uh, certain representations, but he would make these, he would do this purification process for the people, and then after he was done with that, he would take those garments off, he would wash himself again, and he it would be a, a symbol, it would be a sign to the people. And, and two things that were represented by these garments, number one was humility, and, and number two 
um, was something being finished or complete. He would make these, these sacrifices were made specifically with these garments on, and then he would put them away or he would put them aside and be done with them, and he would go back into his representation garments, and he would then represent the people again. And so it's a very interesting picture because if you go back to before the Day of Atonement, there, there are, for, the, for that whole season of sacrifices that the Jewish people would deal with preceding the Day of Atonement, the, Jew, the, uh, the high priest would be sacrificing uh, a number of different times. Uh, um, one commentary that I read said that there would be upwards of 3,000 sacrifices made in that week. And so the, the priest would be really just covered in blood, I mean, it would just be a, 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 a mess. And that he would take those garments off and he would put them aside and he would put this simple garment on. He would make this, this ultimate sacrifice, this ultimate um, atoning for the people of, of Israel. Then he would go back and he would, he would take that garment off after making that, that, um, that sacrifice on that day of atonement. And then he would put back on these representation garments that had been cleaned or were, or were other garments, and he would again represent the people of Israel in that clean state. It's a real beautiful picture of how, how Christ represents us. He puts on those garments of humility. He takes off the garments of heaven, the divine garments. He puts on the garments of humility. He comes to the earth. He lives for 33 and a half years, and then he dies, and he sacrifices himself in this what we would call these lowly garments. And the text actually deals with that. It talks about that God made him a body. When you think about the garments of the priest, you can actually compare them to the body of Christ. Okay? And so that, that's kind of the picture that's going on. The unique thing is that in the Old Covenant, these garments were cleaned, they were washed, and they were kept till next year, and they were used again. The reason for that was that the garments, um, the work of the atonement was not complete. It was temporarily accomplished, but it was not complete. It was a sign when he would take them off that there was completion there, but it was only completion for that which took place in the past. The high priest on the day of atonement sacrificed for the sins of the people that were committed in the past, and that, that last year. And, and the moment that they sinned again, likely on that very day, they begin to build back up this um, consequence. I mean, they begin to build towards the next year's sacrifice. They were already working. It's really a, it's really a, a sad state of the condition of mankind, isn't it? That you have this sacrifice, this atonement that goes through this extraordinary ritual that shows how extensive and horrible mankind's sins are. And then at the end of that day, before the day's even over, they're already building up for next year's sacrifice. And the interesting thing is about the, the atonement that the Lord brought is that they, they, that sacrifice couldn't do anything for those sins that started on that next day. And so they built up and then they had to be sacrificed again. This is what makes Christ unique because Christ sacrificed himself one time. The Bible tells us that in, in this context. He made one sacrifice for the sins of all time. One, one sacrifice, not many sacrifices. So when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, the Bible says in John 19 and verse 30, he cries out, it is finished, right? It is complete. 
What's also interesting is when they took him down off the cross, they, they wrapped him in, in linen garments, which are similar to what we have in the linen garments that the, the high priest wore in the Old Testament. So they wrapped him in these little linen garments, and on the third day, after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, after he had been wrapped in these linen garments, the disciples come to the tomb to see where Jesus is, and all they find there is what? They find those linen garments, don't they? They find those clothes, those garments, and they're, they're left behind because they're no longer necessary. He has been resurrected with a glorified body, and now he sits, the Bible tells us, now he sits in heaven, and he is, he is restored to the glory that he had before. That's that whole picture again. And you think about it, the, the priest takes off those garments, right, and he puts back on those representation garments, those intercession garments, and Christ put off the earthly garments of the sacrifice of himself, and he puts back on those glorified garments. John 17, Jesus Christ prays, Lord, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. So the old covenant was not complete in that it did not, was not, uh, did not deal with past present, and future sins, but the new covenant, which we have in Jesus Christ, did deal with our sins, past, present, and future. It was a completed work. The reason I bring all of that up is because this passage of Scripture, these 18 verses that I'm going to read to you, deal with the, it, it deals with the future impact of the new covenant, it deals with the fact that the new covenant is distinct. Last week we dealt with the, old, the new covenant, how it takes away our sins, right? How it purges our sins, how it deals with our sins, and we all love that. That's a really important piece of being a believer, of being a Christian. But this passage of Scripture deals more not just with how, how the new covenant and the old covenant deal with our past problems, but this text deals with how they deal with our future problems, how they deal with our future sins. The fact that the Lord's work on the cross did not just have a past impact, but it had a, has a future impact. It has a, it has a forever impact. So let, let's just walk through this together, if you'll follow along with me. The Bible says in verse number one of chapter number 10, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. I just want you to underline or highlight the good things to come. That's what this text is all about. It's about the fact that there are good things to come. And we can say amen to that, right? Even in the midst of where we're at in this moment of our life, and even where we're at in this moment in our country, and even where we're at in this moment in our world, we can all say with faithful hearts that there are good things to come. There is good that is going to come after this. So we want to remember that. That's going to be, the, that's going to be central to this, the understanding of the rest of this text, is that there are good things that are going to come. There are good things that are going to happen. Romans 8, 28, the Lord says that God works everything out for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, another thought as before we move on is the idea of shadow there is, is a little unique. It's not a, a Greek term that describes necessarily a shadow that we cast on the wall, but it's a term that describes a shadow that you might have when you're drawing something. Um, I when I was reading through some commentaries and some thoughts on this, uh, my wife is an artist, and it really it, it made sense to me. I would often see her drawing a picture, and the, the end result is this beautiful picture, right? 
But I, I would see her in the stages, and, and I would look on a piece of paper, and there would be these little light pencil marks, right? And when the picture's all drawn, those pink pencil marks are not, are not there anymore. But there's these pencil marks that are outlining her thoughts as to what the end is going to look like, right? And does that make sense? Does anybody in here, out here draw that pencil marks things a little bit before you actually start drawing? And maybe when you do words, you pencil them in, and then you actually draw them in your darker get a kind of a picture of what this shadow is. It's these, it's these idea of these pencil marks, things being penciled out, but then we get the full expression of it. We get, the, we get the full picture and we get to see it in the new covenant as it is expressed fully to us. And the old covenant is, is expressed in, the, in those pencil markings, the, 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 the um, blueprints or whatever you, you would want to call it. So he, so he says that this is, these are the shadow, the old covenant is the shadow, or the law is the shadow of these good things that are going to come. Instead of the true form of these things or the true reality of these things, it is never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered each year able to make perfect those who draw near. And again, we'll just make a note that drawing near to God is the goal. Drawing near to God, relationship with God, fellowship with God, that's the goal of all of the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was not capable of making it happen. The New Covenant is. Okay? It says, otherwise they would have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sin every year. There's a constant reminder. In these sacrifices, there's a constant reminder of our sins. Verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. I just want to make a comment about that. Because he uses two terms here. He uses the term desire, and he uses the term pleasure. And what that simply means is, is that sacrifices and offerings that God demanded under the old covenant were not the, desire, the original desire of his heart. Okay? Let me illustrate it for you. In, in the Gospels, the Lord talks about divorce, right? He, they ask him the question about divorce and remarriage. And the Lord says to them, Moses gave you a bill of divorcement because of the hardness of your hearts. Remember that? And then he says, but it wasn't that way from the beginning. In other words, in God's, in God's original structure, and he, he refers back to Genesis 2 where it says that what God had put together, it says, uh, let a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And it says, that is the oneness that takes place in marriage. And that's the way that God designed it from the very beginning. So in the context of this, what you have is Moses gives a bill of divorcement because of the hardness of man's heart, but God points us back to his original plan. So here he says, sacrifices and offerings, that's not what I demanded. That's not what I required. Sacrifices and offerings is not what God requires. So, so get that into your mind because we don't do, I've got a runny nose here, so that's not a bad, that's not a good, it's because of the cold that's coming from those doors, so please forgive me, I'm, I'm a far enough distance away here, okay? Um, uh, well, where was I going with that? So sacrifices and offerings were not what God required or demanded 
Okay? So remember that. Because we don't make sacrifices and offerings today, do we? We don't, we don't go out and kill an animal. But here's the thing. Here's the, here's the alternative. Here's how we translate it into 21st century. We come to church and we call it a sacrifice. Right? We put money in the offering plate and we call it a sacrifice. We do these, we do these rituals which I don't think are bad. They're good ritual. They're not, the issue isn't whether they're good or bad. The issue is they're not rituals to somebody who truly enjoys doing them. But some people see them as sacrifices and offerings. The Lord doesn't require that. If you're coming to church on Sunday morning because you think that's what the Lord requires of you, then you're missing the point. Church is not meant for you to somehow gain favor with God. It's meant for to be a result of you having, you want to be here because you have favor with God. It's a different perspective. Sacrifices, if you believe your service to God as a sacrifice and offering, remember this, sacrifices and offerings the Lord did not desire. That wasn't his, that wasn't his original purpose and the sacrifices and offerings of the old covenant were never meant to bring, to accomplish God's desire. They weren't to accomplish God's desire. That's why we're going to see here, he says, sacrifices and offerings you did not desire. And then he says, sacrifices and offerings you had no pleasure in. In other words, this this term goes back to Isaiah 53, where it says that by um, by by the sacrifice of Christ, that the Lord God in heaven was satisfied So this term, one says God did not originally desire sacrifices and offerings. The other one says that God takes no pleasure in them. So here's what God takes. This is so important that we get this. Here's what God takes pleasure in, and here's what God demands. He says, says, but a body has been prepared for me. And then in verse number eight, he said, when he said, when, when he said, Above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings, because these are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. I want you to just to make note of this, because here's what the Lord is saying. What the Lord desires from us and what the Lord takes pleasure in from us is not sacrifices and offerings. What the Lord desires from us from the beginning, from Adam and Eve's time, and what the Lord requires of us to bring favor into his sight is what? What did the Lord require of Adam and Eve in the garden? What was it? Obedience. Obedience. So Jesus is saying, sacrifices and offerings I did not desire. Sacrifices and offerings did not bring pleasure to you. But behold, you have made a body for me, and I have come to do your will. If you just take that do your will and just understand that he means, I have come to be obedient to you, Father. I have come to accomplish obedience. I have come to fulfill and satisfy obedience. Because obedience is what brings God favor. Obedience is what satisfies God. Obedience is what God desires from his people. This is what brings favor with God. It's obedience. And he goes on to say in verse number 10, and by In verse number 9, he added, he says it again, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to accomplish the second. And watch this. He says in verse number 10, And by that will, 
Okay, you can underline that or write whatever you want to do there. By the completed will of God, by obedience to God, by God's will being fulfilled or someone being obedient to it, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his, sacrifice, at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for one time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. What I want you to see that just in the next few minutes, there's four, there's there's seven um, verbs in this passage of Scripture that are in the, what's called the perfect tense. It just means, and I don't want to be too intellectual, okay? It just simply means that they have a past, they were accomplished in the past, but they continue to have an impact, okay? So there's so they're something that was finished, something that is complete, something that is done, right? It's satisfied, it's complete, it's done, but it, but it continues to impact things. It just continues to do its work, it continues to accomplish things. That's the, that's the theme of this verse, of this passage of Scripture, is that something happened. We know of it as the death of Christ, based upon this text and the last uh, Romans or Hebrews 9. Something happened in Christ's sacrifice that not only impacted things immediately, but it actually continues to bear fruit constantly. Right? It's like planting a tree. I planted this tree. And that's something that's finished and accomplished, right? But every year, you might talk about the fruits that are growing on that tree that all, all point back to the fact that what? I planted a tree. And every year, there's fruits after fruit after fruit. In this context of Scripture, there are seven times that this phrase, this verb um, uh, tense is used to describe something that is completed and it continues to impact you see, here's the unique thing about that. The old covenant does not accomplish things that continue to impact. It accomplishes things that deal with the past. The new covenant accomplishes things that continue to impact. The new covenant has a final moment, an event, if you will, that is accomplished. And once that event was accomplished, and that was the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, that is the gospel, right? Right? Once that event was accomplished, it didn't stop impacting. Matter of fact, we're sitting in this building this morning because of the impact of the, of the work of Christ. None of us were alive when Christ died. It is, the, it is the belief, it is the faith that says, I believe that Christ's work 2,000 years ago is just as effective today as it was then. Do you believe that this morning? That's the continued work of this gospel. That is the, not we're going to see this sacrifice every year because, oh boy, look, I was born and now they have to do it again, right? Not, no, one sacrifice for all of of sins, for all of eternity, for all those who believe. 
There are four times, four simple truths in this, in this passage of Scripture. The idea is something has happened and it continues to bear fruit. Let me read a verse to you that helps us understand this. 1 John 3 and verse 2 says, Behold, we are children of God. Okay? That's a finished thing, right? When a person puts their faith in Christ, they become a child of God. It's immediate. I am immediately a child of God the moment I put my faith in Christ. It's a, trans, it's a, transi- it's a trans- transition from my old self to my new self. Uh, uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. It's immediate. The moment I put my faith in Christ, I am immediately transformed into God's family. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's a great truth, but he doesn't stop there. He said, behold, we are, we are God's children, and what we shall be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So you have this fact, you have this effect, if you will, of being a child of God that doesn't stop with just the effect positionally that's transitioning me from, from lost to saved, from enemy of God to friend of God, but you have this continued impact of this effect. You have a continued effect of this, of this trans, trans, transition. I want to call it a transaction, but it's not really a transaction. It's a transition. There's no transaction being made other than the fact that he gives us his righteousness and takes our sins. We're not, we're not trading something in the sense of us giving and him giving. It's all about him, all for his glory. So, so when we see that, I just want to look at four things, and I'm going to, give you, I'm going to really focus more on just my closing thoughts um, uh, because I want to really focus in on how this can impact us. There are four things, though, four truths that have um, what I call past, present, and future um, effect based upon the blood of Christ. So the first one is found in verse number two. He says, having once been cleansed. And in this case, he's, re- he's comparing again the old covenant. Here's the impact of a true covenant. Here's the impact of a true sacrifice that's going to really change things. He says that having once been cleansed, they would no longer have a consciousness of their sin. And this is the, again, this is that perfect tense verb, cleansed. It carries with the idea that something that happened, we've been cleansed. When we got saved, the Bible tells us in Titus 3, 5, that we were saved by the washing and regenerating of the Holy Spirit. When we got saved, we were immediately cleansed. We were washed clean, right? Completely washed clean. That means that I am, I am now seen in the presence of God as perfectly righteous, God sees me as perfectly righteous. He sees me as clean. He sees me as pure. He sees me as being in the image of Christ. That took place the moment I was saved. The Bible calls it justification. It's a a term that's used to describe something happened in the past. The Bible says in Romans 5 and verse 1, since we have been justified by faith, have been justified by faith, something that took place in the past. The moment you place your faith in Christ, you have been justified. But we know that it doesn't end there because then you have sanctification. And sanctification is when you, when you work out your salvation. This is a present tense thing. This is something that we're doing now. We're working out our salvation now. This is a battle. Philippians 2 tells us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who has worked it in you. 
This is that now process. This is the, yes, this is, an, this is a direct result of justification. How many people who are justified will be sanctified? All of them will. That's Romans chapter number eight tells us all who are justified will be glorified and in the middle of that is sanctified. The Bible says back, I, I quoted to you 1 John three, the Bible says all who have this hope in them, all who have the hope of of being in the image of Christ, which is all who believe, all who have this hope in them will do what? Purify themselves. That's the now. The gospel of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ that happened 2,000 years ago, and it changed us the moment that we believed in it, is still changing us today. It's still washing us. It's still cleansing us. It's, It's still purifying us today. This is why the Bible tells us in Colossians and Ephesians and other passages of Scripture, it says, put on the new man and take off the old man. It's not telling us to get saved over and over again. It's saying for us to reflect. Let the gospel have a now impact on you because it does have a now impact on you. It's not even about let it have a now impact on you. It is if you are saved, it will have a now impact on you. And then the future, we're going to be cleansed, aren't we? 1 Corinthians 15, you get time at home, read it. It's all about this new body that we're going to get. Isn't that going to be great? You know, coronavirus is not going to have any impact on this new body that we're going to have. It's not. We're going to be completely, not just, we're not purified by justification in that moment and then also working out purification and sanctification, but, but one day we're going to be perfectly cleansed. And that's the hope that we have. So that's something that happened and continues to happen. The second thing is, is obedience. It talks about in verse 7 and verse number 9, both of these phrases use this tense, and it just simply means that Christ's obedience on the cross, get this, Christ's obedience on the cross was imputed to you, it was, it was gifted to you, and it continues to bear fruit in you today, and one day it will be it will be complete when we stand before God and we are seen in his perfect righteousness. This is what it means when it says that uh, in Romans 5 that, that he gifts us his righteousness. This is what it means in 2 Corinthians 5 where it says that he took upon us our sins that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is a righteousness that he has given us at salvation and that he is progressively working out of us or working on us to reveal in our life right now. The reality of it is, is we would all say this, we sin because we are, okay, everybody, we sin because we are sinners, right? So would it not be equally valid to say we are right we do righteousness because we are because we are righteous. How many of us in here this morning are righteous? Everybody that is saved is righteous. Everybody that is saved is righteous. We have been changed. We have been made new. We now are indwelt by the righteousness of Christ. Right? So what do we do? Well, we work that out. We live that out. We should be doing righteous acts. We should be desiring to grow. We should be working at growing. This is known as progressive sanctification. 
We should be working out what the Lord has worked in. It was his obedience. Notice this. It was his obedience, not our obedience, but his obedience was gifted to us at salvation in the same way that we were cleansed at salvation. But his obedience is worked out through us in sanctification and one day will be completed in glorification. Another phrase that talks about something that happened in the past, something that has impact on us today and will impact us into the future forever. The next thing is found in verse um, 10. It says, uh, he has sanctified us to the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This term sanctified, again, it's the same, same tense. It's perfect tense. It means that he has sanctified us and he is sanctifying us. Sanctifying just means to set somebody apart. It's a, it's a term that was used for the Old Testament um, elements, uh, furniture in the temple. It was set aside for the Lord's work. It was set aside for holy things. Okay? If you're saved this morning, you have been set aside for holy things. You are on this earth to represent Christ you're not on this earth for selfish gain, for self-gratification, for self-pursuit, for pride, for self-sufficiency. You're not on this earth for self. You have been placed on this earth to represent Christ. You have been saved for his glory and by his grace. And now we have the opportunity to live for him. And I say opportunity because that's what I mean. It's not a responsibility. It's an opportunity. We've been sanctified by the blood of Christ. Not only have we been sanctified by the blood of Christ, but we're being sanctified by the blood of Christ every single day. In other words, he's working it out of us. He says in Hebrews 12 and verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and the sin that does so easily ensnare us so that we can run with, race, with patience the race that is set before us. If we're sanctified, why do we need to put the weights aside? Because we need to be sanctified. We need to become better tools for the Lord. I mean, honestly, that's what we're here for. We can become better tools for the Lord. How do we become better tools for the Lord? Well, we take off the worldly weights. I always thought it was interesting. 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says, The sting of death is sin. And I've always thought it's so true. What makes death so painful is that we get so connected to this life. It's almost like chains everywhere holding us down, wanting us to be here, that makes it difficult to want to be there. But you know what the Apostle Paul did in Philippians? He cut all those chains and he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is his gain. He says, I'm only here for your benefit than your good. I would rather be there. You know what the Apostle Paul experienced? He experienced the destruction of those chains. The sting of death to him was not sin because he was purified. He was sanctified. He was set apart, not just, not just positionally, but practically. The Apostle Paul was not connected to the world. Everywhere he went, the world hated him. They beat him. They abused him. They, they left him for dead at places. It wasn't, he wasn't like, this is great. He's like, I'm here to serve Jesus. And it's painful and it's hard and it's difficult. And I want to go and be with my Lord. 
But as long as you have me here, Lord, I will serve you with all my heart. We're not just sanctified positionally. We're sanctified progressively. We're being changed into the image of Christ. The last thing is simply found in verse, 14, verse 15. It says, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness with us for after saying, and it goes on to repeat the new covenant. This is, again, another perfect tense. It means the Spirit is witnessing to us. The Spirit is witnessing to us. The Spirit, at salvation, the Spirit witnessed to us in saving us. He, he did something inside of an individual that is not explainable. I mean, it's like you can't explain what the Holy Spirit did inside of a person, can you? It's a miracle. That's why John 3 describes it as something you can't see, you can't understand, you can't comprehend. All you do is you just see the results of it, right? The work of the Holy Spirit is so amazing that what takes place at salvation. But listen to me, folks. Here's what the Bible is saying in this text. That work doesn't stop when you get saved, The Holy Spirit is constantly communicating to us the goodness of God. He's constantly crying out in our hearts, Abba, Father. He's constantly confirming us of who we are in Christ. He's constantly doing a work in us. I think so much of Christianity has become about intellectualism and Gnosticism and so little about the power and the presence of the Spirit of God living inside of you. We need, we need knowledge of the truth, absolutely, but that knowledge of the truth should be built around the person of God's Spirit. John 14 says that he will teach us all of the things that we need to know. If we're building a, if we're building a, a theological system based upon only intelligence and knowledge and not the Spirit of God, we will be building a, a house on, on sandy ground, and it will collapse. It will collapse when coronavirus hits. We've got to be building on a relationship with Christ that, yes, is built around the Word of God, but it's also built around the person of God, the Spirit of God who lives within us. It says here, the Spirit of God bears witness with us. He doesn't just bear witness at salvation. Yes, that's true. He makes us alive at salvation. But man, my goodness, if he doesn't spend time with us every day of our lives encouraging us, strengthening us, blessing us, walking with us, talking with us, right? He's there. He's present. He's real. He, 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 he matters. So all of that, and I'm going to just close with a few thoughts. The Christian life in so many ways is about looking forward, isn't it? It's about expectation. It's about anticipation. It's about faith, isn't it? It's about hope. Romans tells us that hope that we see, hope that we see is not really hope at all, is it? He says hope that we don't see, that's real hope. The Christian life is about looking forward. It's about expecting God to do something. It's about anticipating God working. Yes, God did something, but yes, God is doing something, and yes, God will do something. That's the Christian life. Let it not be fatalistic that says, oh, well, God did something back in those days. And it it was great. It It was complete, but he's just not doing anything today. No, the Lord is still very active today and still working in us. We are living in this middle section of sanctification. And we are 
anticipating that God's going to fulfill his work that he has started in us, the working out of, the, of our salvation. I would say to you just three things, and I just want to encourage you and challenge you with these three thoughts in regards to what God is doing and will do, in regards to good things are yet to come. Have you ever heard somebody say the best is yet to come, right? What is, is that true for a Christian? Is it true for a Christian? In the greatest, darkest moments of our life is the best yet to come. In the best moments of life is the best still yet to come. You know, the, the book that's out, and I don't want to demean the author of that book, but the book that's out called Your Best Life Now, it's really not biblical because we don't have our best life now. We are, we are anticipating more. We are anticipating better. We are anticipating much, much better, aren't, aren't we? This is what you will read in Hebrews 11 when we get to that point, when we start unfolding Hebrews 11. You'll read a group of people that sacrificed their very lives so that they could have the later, not the now. So we'll just give you three thoughts about this that will be, I think, just practical. Number one, be patient. Just wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. The Bible says, Isaiah 40 and 31 says that uh, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. We need to learn to be patient. God is often doing things that are going to take time. They're going to unfold over time, and they're going to be good in the end, but it's the journey that we often get caught in, into the scenario where we're questioning God, where we're challenging God. Let, let us be patient with the Lord and what he wants to do, and he will strengthen us. So be patient, number one. Number two, be positive. Not only wait on the Lord to accomplish his work, but expect the Lord to accomplish his work. Expect him to. That's what faith is. Faith anticipates God doing something great. I, I was thinking of Psalm 27, 13, and 14. The apostle, the, the, apostle, the writer of Psalm says, and I'm going to quote from the King James because I think it's a little bit more clear. He says, I had fainted, or I would have quit. I would have failed. I would have not continued unless I believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. In other words, and it probably was David was the author, and if you can picture David's life just for a moment, here's a guy who went through a lot of challenges, right? We could see him quitting and saying, you know what, that was, yeah, I get it. I, I get why he quit. I mean, look at his own son was trying to take his kingdom from him, right? I, I get that the king was trying to spear him and kill him because he was going to be in his, I get that. I, I can see why he quit, Right? We could see that with David. Here's a guy who was a man after God's own heart, but man, he suffered a lot. But here's what he said. He says, I would have quit it. I would have quit. I would have quit it. I would have quit unless I believed I was going to see the goodness of God. Isn't that true, folks? We, we've got to get this, we've got to get this expectation of God back. That God is going to do something. That God isn't going to do anything small, but he's going to do something huge. That God is going to do something huge with Grace Bible Church of Hollister. You believe that? That God is going to do something huge with Grace Bible Church of Hollister. And not only do we believe that, are we acting like we believe that? 
God is going to do something huge with, with the Prettyman family of Hollister, California. Do we expect that from God? Do we have an anticipation on God that exceeds this doubt and fear and, and worry and concern? Do we really think God is still powerful like he used to be? I would submit to you that yes, he is. But I don't know that we know it. I don't know that we, we believe it. We need to. So be, be patient on the Lord. Be positive. Expect the Lord to do something. And then lastly, be persevering. Pursue the Lord. Pursue the Lord's blessing. Pursue the Lord's help. Pursue the Lord's intervention. Pursue the Lord's healing. Pursue the Lord getting rid of the coronavirus. But always know that his will will be done. Don't pursue the Lord without recognizing his will. But pursue the Lord for these things. He's capable. The problem with many of us is that we don't pursue the Lord in these moments. And then when the deliverance comes, we don't praise him for the deliverance. Pursue him in the difficulty and then praise him in the victory. Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. This is a cycle Ask, seek, and knock. I mean, this is like pursuing. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. We need to be persevering people, pressing through the difficult times, believing God, trusting God, expecting God to do something in those difficult moments. We've got to remember that, yes, Jesus Christ fulfilled a great work and that that work continues to impact people's lives. It impacts my life. It impacts your life every single day. This is what distinguishes him from the old covenant. That his work, his sacrifice, his sufficiency saves people and it changes people. And Lord, help us to be a people that believe that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truths that you give us. And we pray, dear God, that you would forgive us in those moments of doubt and fear and worry and murmuring and complaining and doubting your, your abilities or doubting your will. Help us, Lord God, to become a people or to be a people that are just full of faith full of anticipation and expectation, just looking for and excited about the next work that you're going to do in our midst. Help us to be a, a people, Lord God, that are full of that. Help us to be humble. Help us to be patient. Help us to be positive and persevering. Help us, Lord God, to be gracious and forgiving. Help us to be hopeful and truthful people. Make us, Lord God, into the representation that you want us to be. We give you the praise, Lord.